Hello everyone and welcome to the MSC Performance Podcast. Today our fearless leader Mark is on his monthly holiday. So you are joined today by myself, Luke, and Sonia. Hello, Sonia. Hi everyone. Okay. Hi Luke. Hello. Uh, so today we have a couple of questions that we're going to be running through that I think a lot of people will be interested in hearing. Uh, we're going to be talking about training for performance versus training for aesthetics. And then we're going to also talk a little bit about injury, which uh, Sonia's going to talk up through her experiences of managing injury, uh, her personal injury, um, as well as her clients. And we'll go into a little bit of the, uh, the information that we know and the best way to manage your training when we want to continue uh, rather than just stopping altogether. But first, we're going to start off by talking about uh, performance via aesthetics. Uh, so one of my clients asked me this in the week, and I thought it was a, a good topic to bring up. And I think a lot of people um, have the same idea. Do you find that when um, people are joining up for barbell club or coming for coaching, that they may be a little bit worried if they start training for performance, that their aesthetics going to be um, compromised or... Um, yeah, pretty much this happens very often that like we either have people looking to gain strength or actually losing weight and looking better. Like that's the ultimate goal of most people, isn't it? Like I want to look good. I want to look good naked in Absolutely. bikini. <laughs> um, so this is something we sometimes I think have to actually explain people that these things kind of like either come across um, and very often it's the, it's the, what is it, the stigma or mm-hmm. um, what they actually think is the thing and it's not. Yeah. Um, so a bit more explanation for you today from us uh, will be, I think, good clarity. Yeah. Um, as you guys will probably find yourself with the same question that, you know, you think in the, or what, you know, whatever is promoted, like in terms of rep ranges, if you don't follow someone's program or if you don't have any coaching, you just probably following what's kind of like advertised as being uh, the ultimate goal or the ultimate um, like um, structure um, for strength and then separately for performance where actually these things uh, have more in common than you think. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of carryover from both and they're definitely not mutually exclusive. Like Sonia's just said, a lot of people think you have to train for strength or you can train for aesthetics. And I think what's really good now is we've seen like a new wave of people coming through that are a little bit more aesthetic. Cause I think when people think about um, looking a certain way from pushing for strength or even weightlifting in the head, they're picturing a super heavyweight powerlifter or super heavyweight weightlifter or strong man. And everyone says, oh, I don't want to quite look like Zuvila Sidricus, which obviously is never going to be the case. Yeah. But that's what people think that they're going to they have to compromise what they look like to be a certain strength. But, but what's nice now is that this new wave of people are coming through where they're, they're training incredibly well. They're training for performance, so either weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman um, or team sports. And they're, they're looking good doing it. And I think, uh, like you said, the stigma is, uh, is slowly changing. Yeah. What I often found in MSC is that people come in with the aim to lose weight, look good, but actually they slide into understanding the strength and the performance. And when you ask them later, they actually just want to be strong and stronger because they start improving the other qualities and they potentially got into powerlifting as a competition, Olympic lifts, and they not even that bothered because essentially if you don't want to compete, compete like doing bodybuilding, you understand that that's not really the case of like, because obviously bodybuilders look great right but it's not really natural is it so what it does take to become a, a competitive powerlifter is, is a hell of a lot of sacrifice that no, if you do bodybuilders Bodybuilding, Body powerlifting does not take that much sacrifice <laughs> compared. Uh, being a bodybuilder takes a lot of sacrifice, both in terms of like the amount of social stuff that you will do. You can't go out to eat, you can't Big go out to time. drink. Um, I hear stories of a, a couple of friends that did competitions where they would like to see someone in a bar and have to ignore them and just walk past because they just don't want to stop. They don't want to even have like 
anything that's not water it's it's super super tough and it's similar to weight loss where like it's diminishing returns and the harder that you push in the diet and the closer it's getting towards uh, the final point it becomes a lot harder to lose that little bit of weight and you have to sacrifice an absolute lot to get there um so yeah for for bodybuilding like when you're taking it that extreme it is it, it gets very difficult for most people that are looking to be um just a bit more aesthetic than training pretty much exclusively for strength or for a certain kind of performance is is, is going to lead them to their aesthetics goals that they want as well um where do you think this uh, belief comes from so apart from like the looks that we know for like uh, powerlifters and weightlifters the super heavyweights which aren't quite desirable for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, where do you think kind of this stigma comes from? So I think that now you have so much stuff available out there, like obviously on internet and social media. Um, and I think many like athletes, I don't want to call them athletes, but people promote this stuff. So they share certain, you know, patterns, which, which is not necessarily true, but it just, I don't know. I feel like it's just been released. Like it's been coming out so for so long but i think now it's actually being more pushed on the side that it's actually not the way um so if we're talking let's say like if you think that doing high reps and low load is going to lead to you know muscle growth um and looking a bit more leaner this is kind of the stigma we're talking about right yeah. and then doing maybe your three sets of five or three threes for strength like keeping the load high and um, dropping the volume yeah. That's probably the stigma we're talking about, which I think you guys are very familiar with. But we, on the flip, we're actually going to talk about that if you manage the volume and load, you can be pretty much doing the same and achieve yeah. the desired results. One of my favorite stories to tell is when I was working in a, in a commercial gym, uh, I was doing a bit of powerlifting and the guy, a guy was running a, um, a, a course, a, a personal trainer course. Um, so like, oh, I see you doing some strength work, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yep, yep. I was just like, oh, I do a bit of strength work too, but um, I'm not doing five fives, I'm doing five by six because I don't want to just get strong. I want to get bigger as well. Wow. And it was as if like it was this, these magic numbers that people think about where yeah. one to five is exclusively strength. If you're training these low repetitions, you're not going to gain any muscle mass. Uh, all of a sudden, the, the magic number, you switch to six reps um, and all of a sudden you're gaining muscle. And that sounds absolutely stupid when I describe it like that, but that's this is what people think when they're doing these low repetition um, exercises. It's purely for strength. There's no muscle building qualities there. Um, so people think that when I'm training for aesthetics, I should be doing sets of 15. Uh, when I'm training for strength, we know that strength is very linked to intensity. So you should be training above at least 80% for some of your work, uh, which obviously you're not going to do that many reps with. So yeah. people think that is exclusively strength. And like Sonia said, there's a lot of good research looking at low load versus high load training. And when you equate for volume, or not even volume, when you equate for difficult repetitions or so repetitions over like five RPE um, that you can gain as much muscle on either one, which is, is great to know because it means that if you enjoy doing the high load training, that as long as you're doing sufficient amounts of volume, so you're going to have to do more sets if you're doing uh, less reps, but you're going to get stronger, you're going to gain more muscle. Um, but if you prefer doing the low load training, you like chasing the pump, then that is also going to get you as big. Um, That's exactly what I wanted to state. And you stressed it already that um, maybe doing like sets uh, reps about like 10 to 15 you when you're aiming for muscle gain um it's usually the last couple reps till failure but you have to know what kind of percentage or rp you're working with because then you know you might do you know three sets of 15 but you know if you haven't used the range if you didn't go till the failure you actually done 
like absolutely, absolutely I call nothing. That, uh, then jump, junk reps. Yeah. So if you're doing 15 yeah. and you don't actually take it to a decent RPE, like Sonia's just said, you've done 15 reps that have done absolutely nothing for you. You've got no stimulus, you've got no stress. So as a result, you get no adaptation. So you exactly. need to make sure that regardless if you're doing high load or low load, you need to be working to some sort of uh, RPE that's recognizable. And if, if you finish a set of 15 and you could do another five or 10, you didn't even patch that stimulus the adaptation is not going to occur because you you didn't get ne nowhere near to that potential basically Absolutely, so. um so yeah i think from like if you're training for with a bit of focus on strength or on power um you know i think one of the things another one gets misconstrued is that people think you have to do just one or the other so one thing yeah. that a lot of powerlifters are known for is, is skipping the accessories and it's almost a joke but if you wanted to be a power builder which is what people talk about where i also want to look good which is just not a thing what power building is is powerlifting training done properly it's doing your strength training and then doing your accessories and pushing them hard and like you've just said to the rps that you meant to and if you watch powerlifters train not just powerlifters weightlifters yeah. any anyone training They'll do like their main meat and potatoes work. So it might be heavy squats for like sets of five, uh, six to seven RPE. They'll go into the hamstring curl machine. They'll go into the leg press. I don't see many people get into a yeah. true six or seven on the leg press. It is, I know. It is hard. Um, so these, again, these rep schemes don't have to be exclusive. So power building is not a thing. You can do your hairy strength work and then you can do some high repetition work. Get that kind of sensation that people want when they're, they're thinking of aesthetics and yeah, that's another thing really to think Probably about. a big shout would be um, to nutrition, just not like not to make confusion. Like if you want to train purely for aesthetics, you probably, obviously everything we said, it's really important to keep in, you know, the volume and managing the selection of exercises, but it's probably going to be your biggest card to play with if it's purely for aesthetics. Um, you, you get my point here. Absolutely. So I think what you're trying to say is uh, when you're training for aesthetics, it's similar to what we said about the bodybuilding, at some point you're in a calorie deficit and probably a hard calorie deficit and you're probably low carb and they're not optimal for, for strength training. So there's a point where kind of if you want to be the best powerlifter or you want to be the best bodybuilder, you probably have to sacrifice one or the other. Yeah. For the majority, 95% of people that aren't going to compete, 99% of people that aren't going to compete in bodybuilding, you won't have to drop your calorie deficit that much. We always talk about trying to do things fairly slow and sustainable so that we can like maintain as much muscle mass as we can yeah. so but for, if you're like thinking about getting to stage lean at some point you should still be training hard you should still be training like big movements um but you, you're going to have like, to sacrifice a little bit of strength all the coaches cannot train for performance but we all look pretty decent <laughs> so <laughs> Like yeah, if you look at Mark, 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 Mark trains exclusively for rugby. He's not obsessed with his. Aesthetic. I mean, he does arms four times a week, so Mark's a bit of an outlier. Um, he loves his uppers. Yeah, but but absolutely, like you said, like we all follow like strict nutrition. Um, we all train exclusively for performance. But as a as a secondary to that yeah. is is the aesthetics. And, yeah, and that's kind of what we're saying is that you can push the performance base, which we find to be a lot more sustainable for people. When you have some kind of number orientated goal, people seem to be a bit more engaged in their training. You can have that and still have the outcome of uh, better aesthetics. Um, I think this kind of nicely overlays. Uh or relate to uh, the accessory work being related to the injury prevention as well. So that's why you just don't want to do your hamstring curl, like, you know, just for the sake of it, do your three sets of 10 or 12 or eight or whatever it is. Yeah, if you're not registering an RP at your hamstring, any it, hamstring work, you're exactly. pushing your, your anterior dominant or quad dominant work super hard. And then the hamstring work is just not getting any stimulus. And in terms of robustness and injury prevention, like Sonia said, it's, it's, it's not going to be doing enough. So 
from an injury perspective, which we're going to come to in a second, you need to make sure you're pushing your accessories hard. But for that oval kind of aesthetic, I think the takeaway point is that the, the low loads and high loads aren't exclusive. Uh, you can do them both in a training block. Both of them will lead to similar muscle mass, but you have to train hard. And I think that's the, the mistake people make when they're yep. training purely for strength. The OMRC is a, as an excuse not to train hard on their accessory stuff. Um, so we need to make sure we're working hard on everything that you do. You're in the gym for 90 minutes. Like work as hard as you can within the constraints of your program. So if you program hamstring curl at 6RP, take it to 6RP, but that, that's enough stimulus then to get it. People say 6RP and they think, oh, that's super easy. I'm, I'm hardly going to try. Um, and they're like actually said, not training at 6RP. They're training yeah. at like probably a zero RP. You so could probably get another 10 reps. Maybe this would be a good question. Like where would you then bring for someone two sets of 10 um, or three sets of, you know, five? How, how, where would you draw the line? Like, would it be my choice that I enjoy high, higher rep range? Or I would tell you that I just prefer to do a bit less reps. If you came as... <laughs> Good question. If you came and said that you you don't particularly like doing high load training, or you find that mm -hmm. doing high intensity stuff causes any issues, or you just you just don't like doing it, um, I, it, it it's that dose relationship again. So I think you should still be doing some, but if you hate high load training, your high load is going to be very different to my high load. Um, so you might be like a set of five at eighty percent, and then the rest of your work could be like seventy percent for sets of eight to ten repetitions. You should probably still get that little bit of a dosage in, just to still get that like strength mm -hmm. and power um, stimulus. But it doesn't. It, it, it's, it's very individualized there. I think people should be doing a combination of both. Yeah, because I would say from my perspective, it, it also depends on the exercise. Because um, I came across a program where I was supposed to do like twenty to twenty-five reps on bench. Um, so that's something I wouldn't personally do myself, or let's say I wouldn't give someone super high rep range on a deadlift. Um, the problem, yeah. We have exercises that we talk about that are strength friendly, yeah. which are a bit more skill based. Yeah. And then we have hypertrophy friendly exercises and hypertrophy friendly exercises uh, are ones that are less prone to technical breakdown. So a bench press, I mean, you're, you're a good bench presser, but a complete beginner, well, you're okay. Uh, <laughs> a complete beginner on a bench press doing 20 reps, all of a sudden he makes a mistake. Yeah. He's going off his throat. Yeah. He's pressing it badly. He's getting himself into a position where he could be injured. Um, so we like to do like strength orientated exercises like squat. And then if you wanted to a bit more hypertrophy focus, we could follow that up with a leg press with a belt squat uh, these more safe, are yeah. more safe easier skill just you don't have to worry about your technique you exactly, just push them as hard exactly, as you can yeah. um so yeah absolutely right so you have the exercises that are more strength orientated your deadlifts your squats um you absolutely your olympic lifts and then you have exercises that lend themselves better to high load uh, sorry to low load high repetition good shout for the olympic lifts so like workouts like <clears throat> max snatches in three minutes or whatever the time is ridiculous in my opinion no 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 no. in my opinion it's it's ridiculous it depends on your skill level okay if if you know if we're talking about people like myself or matt fraser someone who's like really really drilling that technique and they know what they're doing and they have all the background and the strength base fine you know probably what you're doing but to give someone perform like a high skill movement in like not control manner and possibly loading it up that just sounds and just ask for risk, basically. Yeah. Um, so that was a good chat, actually. That's actually. one of the things that MSC prides itself on. It's like when we're doing our Metacon sessions, rather than doing like the Olympic lift for high repetitions, we're doing a sledge sprint. So you're still getting good output, but there's no, even if someone got into a bad position on a prowler sprint, like their injury risk is so low, low. compared to a- Or to instead of barbell using dumbbell kettlebells. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So I think this is a good chance to, to wrap it up. So the takeaways are that the aesthetics and the, the sports don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, you can train low load and high loads. And as long as you equate for volume, you'll get equal muscle building. Uh, we believe that you should have a combination of both in your program. So there's exercises like we just touched on that lend themselves better to, to high load. And there's exercises that lend themselves better to repetition. The key is just to train hard. Make sure you're pushing all of your stuff, not just your main movements or not just your accessories. Make sure you're pushing everything hard to the RPs that are set in your program, which if you're looking for a hypertrophy stimulus, a minimum of five RPE. People used to say seven RPE. Now I think you can go as low as a, a, a legit five RPE. Um, and yeah, you look at the best bodybuilders, they're doing strength training and you look at the best powerlifters and weightlifters and they're doing hard accessory work. They're not mutually exclusive. You need to train hard. You need to push things and uh, you can too get that aesthetic, powerful look similar to uh, myself. Good job. Fantastic. Take cool. it all, you'll get it. <laughs> um, Moving on to our second question, which I think you're going to lead. Okay, um, Talking Injuries. a bit about uh, um, your... Yeah, a little bit from experience. Um, obviously, I think... Um, when, once, once someone injured, like it teaches you a lesson, like you know yourself. Um, we work with people who come across uh, and they are injured or you know have some sort of issues, so we're working around. And I found myself that like it's it's a bit different, or it used to be different when I didn't have an injury. Um, like this is a touch wood, but I was very like very low on injury rate. Um, so I never really had an injury which would limit me or stop me. So I was always up for anything. Um, and I, I had, and I was lucky to have like almost ability to perform anything. So, you know, I would do my session and I would maybe jump on into your Metcon and I would be completely fine with it. Um, obviously I had the injury. Um, um, do you want to talk about the injury? Yeah, a little bit. So just, just a little bit, just to explain. So uh, I had like a, minor fraction um, in my back, um, which obviously uh, changed my whole training a lot. So if you know me, you knew you know that I was doing Olympic weightlifting um, and probably lately you didn't see me doing much of it um, because this current stage just doesn't allow me or I'm just being a bit more sensible. The ultimate goal for you is to get back to Olympic lifting. Exactly. You've got this progressive plan in place. Yeah. And before we get stuck into the injury stuff, mm -hmm. you're getting guidance from Max, who's the um, yeah. sports injury clinic here. I think it's massively, like little muscular injuries you can work around themselves with the advice we're going to give you to now, but don't be afraid to, to reach out to someone for, who's a professional uh, to get good advice and to get a program that's going to be progressive to get you back in. What we don't want to do is stop altogether, which is what Sonia's just saying. We want to train through well around the injury as best as we can but we're getting help and guidance to make sure yeah probably general so. advice if you see a doctor is probably take rest or stop training which is something what we wouldn't do um and we wouldn't even recommend it and yes as you said see a professional even though we are coaches i would still seek for someone who knows better in that area um, so I can adjust the training appropriately and doing the right thing, which it's, is something everyone should always it's do. About, it's about not being so proud to, to not yeah. ask for advice. Yeah. And you're not too proud to ask for advice. Definitely. Everyone's got their area of expertise and you should absolutely exactly. reach out. The second thing I want to touch on quickly yeah. is don't be put off by the chat we're having today about injuries because the injury rate in strength, uh, weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, even Highland Games, the injury rate is so, so low comparatively to team sports. So injuries do occur in all sports. Whenever you're pushing training hard, there is that risk of injury, but the injury rates in strength sports is super, super low. Like Sonia's just saying, she's she's been weightlifting probably for five years, yeah. maybe even more. And seven. this is probably seven years. And this is her first you know, main injury. And you compare that to like, 
basketball, everyone's injured every other week. Especially contact sport. Yeah. Exactly. Any sport where there's change of direction, the injury rates are super high. So please don't be put up on what we said today, but we're just giving you advice for when it inevitably happens at some point in your training career. Um, so yeah, the first thing is reach out to someone who is a professional that can give you good guidance yeah. and avoid stopping training altogether because that's the last thing. So you obviously, really if do. you can do the thing you ultimately want to do, which in my case would be doing two lifts, such as like snatch and clean and jerk, um, you just build on and working on the other qualities, which ultimately will then lead um, to a safe introduction when you start introducing the lift. So all around training, you know, keeping your squats, keeping your knee dominant work, your hinges. And for yourself, your squats started to look a bit different as well, didn't they? So probably back squat wasn't um, an, option. A, an option at the time. So you, you uh, reached out for the belt squat. Belt squat, reduced the loading for the back. Hatfield squat was the next one. Yeah. So yeah, reduce the spinal um, compression basically. And these aren't regressions. These are yeah. these are exercises that are just um, optimal for for the current time. So it's not like the bell squat was a, a massive uh, regression for Sonia. It was a, it's a hard exercise again when yeah. she's pushing it properly. Yeah. It's enough to keep a good stimulus yeah. for both hypertrophy and strength. Yeah. So yeah. that was for the squat, <clears throat> let's say. And then obviously, let's say I, I stick to trap bar, um, just a bit less demand on the back um, for that. So I, I kind of completely get rid of conventional type of deadlift or clean pulls um what was it like in the back um hyper extension so i was trying to do everything kind of like flexion um and then you slowly obviously building up um the load in those positions and then you slowly start introducing those positions which were difficult so for the sake of weightlifting i wouldn't just go straight away for something like a hang snatch which is quite rapid so it was like a slow sludge balance, slow overhead squat, a lot of eccentric tempo work. Um, so obviously that way you can um, load up or increase the tension. So you don't necessarily have to be using heavy load, but the tempo and the tension kind of supplement that. Um, so that was a good start with eccentric work and it's still in my training now. Um, it's a long, long process, um, gets very frustrated. Uh, especially when you see... I think it's important to say that it's not perfectly linear, is it? Like, you're training, everything's projected in the right direction, but there's little step-backs that are going to happen on the way. But it's it's important not to get super frustrated when these little step-backs happen. Uh, The issue is that when you get a little better uh, or you feel like it's almost there, you have to keep in mind that you just can't just suddenly go back to where you were before. Like, if you know you were squatting, you know, 130... It's just not going to happen yeah. yet. I think what you're saying is is the main point we want to talk about today is uh, training around the injured area. So choose an exercise that don't cause any more aggravation, no allowing the injury to, yeah. to, to actually recover, um, yeah. but then finding a good entry point for said injured area. So you were still yeah. doing uh, back dominant work, but you were finding something that was suitable for, for the current climate. You wasn't doing super hard yeah. deadlifts, you were doing hyper extensions, still training the musculature, yeah. but in a way that's not causing aggravation. I would say that during that period, you're not really looking to get stronger, but potentially maintain what you've got and improve the qualities, which will then enhance, um, like, as you said, like not irritating the injury. So in my case, if it was the back, so I was making sure that like my trunk um, is super strong. So loads of like isometric work, side planking, um, basically all the stuff people kind of neglect. But yeah, thanks. Thanks to Max and his advice. I just I, I just felt and I know I was on the right path, which was way easier for me to follow. 
than coming into a gym and doing things which you know you might leave a bit sore yeah. you don't really know what's going on so you know let's say max said zero pain like no irritation so if you leave a gym you train and you don't feel any pain you know you're doing the right yeah. thing I think um, one thing I want to actually um, yeah. maybe question from what you just said because I actually yes. might, might disagree or you you might uh, mm-hmm. you might have maybe said it slightly I didn't understand it. Um, I think you can actually get stronger uh, while you're injured in different areas. So if you're, oh yeah. yeah yeah okay I so maybe that was meant. maybe yeah. I, I just um, said it wrong. Um, not like necessarily getting stronger, but I, you're not going to get stronger say, your weightlifting. Yeah other areas. Yeah, that yeah that's what I meant. So Absolutely. I know that I won't just then go back and PB my snatch but I actually know that I won't, I won't lose it. So I, when I get back, I know at any point I'll be comfortable to do a bet about 80%. Yeah. So for yourself, like you're not doing your snatch, so mm. your snatch is not going to, you're not going to be snatching the yep. next month. However, like your bench press, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. your static oh, strength and other yeah. lifts have, have really progressed on. So it's a great opportunity to train on other things that you might have neglected in the past or, or not pushed yeah. quite as hard. Uh, so she's completely changed her... Um, Glad that you picked up on yeah. it because that would be misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah, so obviously your main lift wouldn't just go that high, but it uh, it doesn't mean that the other things, the other qualities can yeah. can improve. Definitely, yes. Definitely think it still can get a good squat, you know, good deadlift. And as you said, like I've changed to different things. So I was focusing on those. And like for yourself, when you talked about the high load, the low load, some people might find like high volumes of training cause irritation. Other mm-hmm. people, it's high load. For yourself, it was high load. From what I understand, doing heavy stuff was causing aggravation. So you've put a lot more focus onto like capacity work. So low load training, uh, more conditioning based work, lots of volume. Um, and for other people, it might be the other way around. So they might find that like for a lot of people, stuff like the QL or like the lower back just gets really sore after lots of volumes of squat. And that might be the case that you reduce your volume down for a while, continue with the high load training and then progressively build your volume back up again as your capacity increases yeah um so these are going to look very different this is a good um this is a good kind of story to go through because it's very relatable um but there are going to be very different individual differences for myself my last injury was the um adductor that was uh kind of last year um for myself and there similar to what sonia said i was guarding the adductor by doing like closer stand squat work so still trying to maintain and do the squat and the deadlift etc as best as i could uh, and then trying to find a good entry point like we spoke about earlier for the adductor so for example, like slightly wider squats with like a goblet, so low load training and just getting back into that range of motion and just starting to build up that stress in that position, which is what was calling me um, aggravation. But I was still trying to train around the area as best as I could. But the entry point to build up the the uh, this, the um, the adductor strength and to, to make sure that like there's no kind of long term issues that are going to happen, because if you stop altogether, like the scar tissue that can be caused from a um, from a muscle strain can really change everything and become a, a long-lasting injury if you don't continue to train. Yes, there definitely still should be some sort of stress for that area, but kind of different type of stress. So if I still want to squat, I'm going to use something which will allow me to get the knee dominant work in, but not going to maybe use the spinal loading as much. Exactly. Um, so for myself, like I said, close stance, yeah. and then I was doing like a 12 kilo kettlebell for a wider stance goblet. So finding the variation which works which doesn't um and then slowly returning back to the original movement you're actually looking for uh but it's just all gradual um and like there's not really a time slot for it i would say just kind of like trial and error seeing how things progress um over the weeks 
it's very individual based off the severity of the uh, of the injury, isn't it? So for yourself, yours was a you know a fraction; it was quite serious. You compare that to a a grade one muscle strain that might be two weeks yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it might yeah. be two weeks of guard in the area in that case there's going to be very minimum uh, strength loss yeah. if it becomes months or months or if it's like a, a grade three tear like off the bone it could be like surgery and then that's going to be a massive timeline so it's important to try and get a diagnosis and know what you're working with and then you can exactly. kind of have a rough timeline but i think the thing to, to be good about it is to uh is to be reactive to things that happen rather than just say i'm definitely going to do this it's it's be reactive so if you're been doing bout squat like you said and you go to a Hatfield squat as the, ne- the next progression in the system and it's still a little bit uncomfortable rather than just saying I'm going to continue with it it's, it, it's knowing when to push it and when to, to ease back and listen to your body when and where yeah. you should be going. I think a good chat would be distinguishing between um, injury, pain and being sore because very often happens when people just you know from doing nothing kind of come and start doing a bit, um, they feel more sore than usual, and they often relate to it as a pain. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to see a physio straight away or panic or avoid full squatting or skipping a gym. The big one is the the lower back soreness that people get from deadlifting and squat. And again, distinguishing when we say soreness, we're talking muscular soreness. There's loads of muscles in the lower back that are working yeah. hard that people never do. And nothing creates soreness like novel stimulus. So if you've not deadlifted for months and then you're coming in and do even like two sets of light trap bar it's super novel it's going to cause discomfort and people really get worried by that i know it's yeah. distinguishing between the muscle soreness which will be gone in 48 maybe maybe three days um, max um, compared to like something that's going to cause issues for, for how, weeks how often do you feel sore after the deadlift session i feel a little bit sore but like not not bad sore however i've just had a um, I obviously had the competition um, last week, so training for that was dropping down a lot. And then I had a week off where I trained twice. So I trained on Monday and I'm, I'm still sore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, it's because but of the novelty of having a break. But you understand the soreness exactly. and you're not panicking because you're a bit sore. Because exactly. obviously the experience uh, comes with training experience. Um, yeah, so um, probably like a takeaway of the injury section would be that don't be scared to reach for help, um, no matter what your knowledge is. Um, like coaches need coaches. Um, that that's probably the, the number one. And then um, second thing is find a way how to train around it. Um, there's always a way how to train around it, mostly, I believe. I think always, um, even if it was like a super serious, yeah. serious lower body, you could train. Remember um, Mark Torrey's bicep? Yeah. He came in the day after and he was doing sledge drags with his hand in yeah. a cast. Luke yeah. Richardson's Torrey's bicep, he's doing safety bar squat. Yeah. You might not be able to train everything, but you can train Definitely. Something. Sometimes you probably have to change things like more. Like let's say I went from Oli to completely different type of training, uh, but it's still training and I know it's going to eventually like prolapse yeah. into the training so it's fine you're just gonna you're just gonna do what's gonna be done so train around it and then find a good entry point so for you is finding exercises that were suitable for the lower back there's strength in the back again build back up the uh the um capacity of your back without causing any further aggravation so it's allowing it to recover but still giving it that little bit of work and that little bit of dosage that's going to help keep it strong um and like we said takeaways don't be worried about getting injured because the low the, the injury rate is super low of uh of strength sports and it's something like i think it's seven injuries in a thousand hours so it's very very low evidently from sonia that's trained for seven years um, and for myself yeah, i've been injured true. two or three times yeah. so um and i i just want to say one thing i remember you actually said to me um at the beginning when i talked to you you said um everyone who trains gets injured yeah. so when anyone trains hard enough 
they are going to that, get that was it yeah and i really that really <laughs> stick into my mind like you look at any sport and the top guys are getting injured because to train training that hard you put yourself in a position where there's a little bit of risk to getting injured and that's not necessarily a bad thing it just it is what it is um yeah i guess if you're a general population like the bodybuilder style training is the lowest injury rate as of anything that's uh that's ever been researched i think it's like 0.7 injuries it's super super low because the majority of them don't do the heavy kind of stuff the low safe. the yeah. low load is a lot easy to often to using the machines so that's probably keeping yeah. it safer as well exactly um lovely fantastic so yeah hopefully you had some good takeaways on training for performance and aesthetics and then also a bit of an understanding about training through and around injuries um so i guess to finish up with just a little bit of update on msc mm-hmm. um as most people will be aware ben has now left so we wish ben the best of luck with everything moving forward um as a result the we have the Metcon Games coming up in two weeks. In two weeks. The teams have been announced. Things have been announced. Events have been relieved, uh, released. 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 Um, so everyone's hope. Are we hoping everyone's kind of preparing? Uh, we've seen... What, uh, are the, uh, what are the events? Um, do you want me to talk? Oh! No, 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 no. I just wanted to say that we obviously allocated like a team captain of the team and we just so far have seen a lovely team spirit. Um, people are getting nicely together and we're all just uh, very excited for the hype week uh, as we're going to have the barbell yeah. testing followed by uh, the Metcon games and a little bit of social. So it's going to be super nice to it's get together. Um, so yeah, this is probably what's going on at MSC at the moment. Everyone's preparing for the games. Everyone's preparing for testing. And yeah. then on the powerlifting side of things, uh, everyone's just finished the competitions. Well, eight of us have finished competitions. So it's back to uh, back to the off-season training, working on what needs addressed, uh, build a bit of capacity, um, do some high repetition work for the majority of people, or develop some skill. It's an exciting time and the buzz is, uh, the buzz is good. So if you uh, are interested in joining an MSC performance, you can drop us a message through Instagram or any of the socials slash the website. And we'd love to have you down. So fantastic. I think that's a good wrap, guys. Until yep. next time, speak to you soon.